Amen. I love worshiping together, don't you? There's something powerful about that when God's people get together and uh, you just miss an element if you miss gathering and looking around and seeing people praising God together. It's an important aspect of who we are. So, this might seem like a silly question. How many of you guys have one of these? I've got two of them. Yeah, see? I've got two of them. And some of you, even if you may not have one of those, you might have a laptop or you might carry a computer around in your pocket. Okay? But you know, there's something, uh, there's something really interesting about these machines. And some of you going, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting things about these machines and I can't figure them out. But the reality is, when you turn this thing on, even if it's on, it sets into a default mode until you decide to do something on it. So, it could be on, functional, ready, but until you move that mouse and click on an icon or type something into a search bar, it's idle. It's not really doing anything except just remaining on. And you could do a lot with this. There's a lot of potential here. Between typing documents, you could browse the web anymore. You do, if you're, if you're like me, you do most of your shopping online. Now that won't do you much good now. If you haven't done your shopping already, don't try to do it online because you will not get your packages. Okay? Don't do it. But the interesting comparison here is much of this is the same in our own life today. We sit in this idle or default state until we make ourselves act. You make yourself wake up in the morning. And some of you are going, not by choice. You make yourself go to work. You make yourself get dressed in the morning. You make yourself eat to sustain. None of that just happens to you. You have to make a choice to do it. You also make yourself, you have a choice to make yourself focus on truth. You have a choice, believe it or not, as to whether or not you're going to read or listen to the Word of God. A choice to seek out and grow together in discipleship, growth together in community. But how often, how often do we look for a quick fix, a quick reboot, or maybe a system update? And maybe that's even, we get to the point where that's how we see Sunday morning. All right. Sunday's here. Time to update my system. And then I'm going to go about my week. And the reality is, this is not something that is a new concept, but really this was one of the big struggles, this concept, this idea, for many of the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day and age. 
go through the default motions of the day to make sure that everything is up to spec without actually making any real or lasting change. They missed the point. Now, if you turn with me to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, this is where we've been the whole month of December. John chapter 1, and we're just going to be focusing on verses 15 through 18 today. But uh, over the course of the last few weeks, we've uh, looked specifically at the reality that the light has come. The true light, the light that we've identified as the Word of God made flesh, which was Jesus. But more realistically, just this premise that the light indeed has come. And though we may leave this place and feel like we're walking in the midst of darkness, the light has come and the darkness has not overcome it. So... To reinforce that, I want all of you to say, the light has come. Okay, we're going to say it one more time with an exuberance because now we're at Christmas week. Okay, it's here. This is the reason we're celebrating. And so one more time, let's say it together. The light has come. Now that was good. So as we think about this specifically in this uh, concept today, this focus in chapter 1, specifically verses 15 through 18. This is the, there's one main idea I want you to grasp out of this this morning, okay? And the main idea, really, of this entire section of Scripture is that the only way to enter God's rest is by receiving grace as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. The only way to enter God's rests is by receiving grace as a gift through Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at this today, let's start, and I'm actually going to start reading in verse 14, where we were at last week, and I'm going to read through verse 18 this morning. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. The only way to enter God's rest is by receiving grace as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, when we look specifically at verse 16, verse 15 highlights something that we've talked about in previous weeks, that John, who was not John... uh, that's writing this book, okay, as we know John the Apostle, but rather the John that's referenced here is John the Baptist, who was talked about previously in verse 6, that there was a man named John who was sent by God to testify, okay, uh, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that was coming into the world. 
And so it's reiterating for us because sometimes we need that reminder. This is the same guy, this is the same being that John bore witness about and said, he who comes after me will rank above me. Okay, this is regurgitating a truth that's already been discussed. But when we step into 16, verse 16, for from him, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is contrasting something that's commonly referred to as the law, as mentioned here. And so what you have here is a new promise. A new promise in Christ. Now sometimes the terminology of this, instead of promise, we use the word covenant. A new covenant. In fact, Jesus himself used this very language in Luke chapter 22 when he was sitting with his disciples and he said, the cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. It's a new covenant. Now, the question that logically follows that is, what is new about this covenant? So I'm going to give you just a little bit of background, stepping back into the Old Testament, because this is foundational for us when we're thinking about the life of Christ and how it fulfills the prophecies of the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, starting in Genesis, we have four major covenants that God made with his people. And the first one of those starts with what's often called the Noahic Covenant. And many of you are familiar with this because it was symbolized by a rainbow in the sky where God said, I promise that I'm not going to destroy the world in this way again. And he promised that before Noah and his family. It's called the Noahic Covenant. And then later on in Genesis, we have what's known as the Abrahamic Covenant, where God promises that God is going to use Abraham and his family unit as a catalyst to bless the whole world. And that's, it's from the Abrahamic covenant that we get that very popular and uh, somewhat crazy uh, song that kids sing. Father Abraham and many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, okay? Abrahamic covenant. So now every time you hear that song, you think of Genesis 17 and think Abrahamic covenant. There we go. The third one of these is the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic promise, which was the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 19 through 24. This was really the introduction of the law and was God's gracious means of saying, here is who I am and here is what I require for you to be righteous. And he did this, some, some, some people call this the uh, Sinai covenant because it happened while Moses was on Mount Sinai where God gave him this, these, these ten commandments and told him to go tell us to the people. And then the fourth one, in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is the Davidic covenant, the Davidic promise, which was God saying, David, you will have one of your family's bloodline on the throne for eternity. And it was this promise that is fulfilled in Jesus and why genealogies in the New Testament are of such importance. So if you've ever been reading your Bible and you get to one of those sections where it's a bunch of names that you just can't pronounce... 
recognize the significance of that in saying this reaffirms the promises of God hundreds of years before it came to be. This is astounding when you start to think about it. And now Jesus is coming come into the picture. The light has come and we have this new covenant in the blood of Jesus. For from his fullness we have all received Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, to look at this a little further, and I want to specifically contrast, because for the religious leaders of this day, one of their biggest issues was, Jesus, the law says this, and you're saying this. How do you expect us to change how we think in this manner, and to follow after you? And instead, what we see in Scripture is the religious leaders were really prominent figures in the persecution of Jesus. It went against everything they were used to. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Keep a finger in John chapter 1, because we're going to come back there. Hebrews chapter 3. Specifically in verse 1, we're going to look at. Hebrews 3. It says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Now, a few things I just want to highlight in kind of a comparing and contrasting of Moses and Jesus here. Okay, the first one in verse 5 of Hebrews 3, we see that Moses was a servant. But then it highlights later on that Jesus, specifically in verse 6, Jesus was the Son. The Son. And if you think back to the earlier parts of John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's a huge contrast here that's important. That God made a covenant with Moses... But Jesus is representing, he is God in human flesh. There is something significant here that is different. Another contrast in this is that Moses was in God's house. Jesus is over God's house. Very big distinction. And makes sense when we understand who the word is. Who the light is. Who Jesus is. Is. And then to understand that through Moses the law was given, this was not and is not meant to be viewed as a bad thing. I want to 
encounter that briefly here. Oftentimes we think about the law and we go, oh, the law, this is this is the bad part because Jesus came and, you know, the law is bad. But the reality is this was the law as we read through the Old Testament was God graciously revealing to his people who he was. This was God's way of saying, I am present with you, but we got to make some changes. Because I am a holy, righteous God. And there has to be a standard. There has to be something required here. This can't just continue at random. But the reality was, when mankind took the law and twisted it into their own idea, their own ideologies, they missed the point of this. And we come back to the truth of John 1, and that is, through Jesus, grace and truth have been given. And so grace upon grace, as we read in John chapter 1, God had already been gracious to say, this is the law, this is what I'm requiring. But now Jesus comes and says, here is God's grace in the flesh. And to understand that the only way to enter God's rest is by receiving grace as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, back to this kind of illustration. How many of you, how many of you carry one of these? Carry a smartphone specifically, okay? How many of you have had an instance where you're going about your life and all of a sudden your phone starts updating by itself? And then the next time you turn it on, all of a sudden everything is different. And I can't tell you how many times I've uh, sat down with people and had to help them figure out, or oh, what does this look like? I don't know what to do anymore. And you realize in that moment just how attached you've become to your phone. I can't do what I need to do. <clears throat> but isn't it interesting that we ridicule the religious leaders in Scripture when Jesus came into the picture and there was a shift, there was a change. You know who those religious leaders were, don't you? There are those of us who don't like change. They're like, no, you can't change this. This is how it's always been. And Jesus even emphasized that he did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And it was in Jesus' teachings that we see for the first time the law simplified in two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And yet, because it was a change, because it was a shift, because it was new, the religious leaders of the time went into panic mode. This isn't how it's supposed to be. And how often do we feel the same way when we start seeking to understand the grace of God given to us in Christ Jesus? And this is a free gift, and yet my human nature tells me that this cannot possibly be free. It cannot be free. I must do something. I have to do something to earn it. That's just my human nature. I have to, I have to do something to deserve this. Yet it is through His fullness 
that we receive grace upon grace. And Jesus was aware of this tension. He was aware that it would create this tension, especially for the religious leaders who he encountered. And to emphasize how he kind of dealt with this, let's flip now to Matthew chapter 9. And this is just one encounter he had with uh, the difficulty in adjusting to this. Matthew chapter 9, specifically verse 14. Now what you're going to find interesting here is Jesus is talking with the disciples of John. Okay, the one who came before him to testify, to bear witness about Jesus. These are the people who are coming to him because this is different. This, this is shifting things. What's going on here? Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is the skin, if it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed, but new wine is put into fresh wineskins and so both are preserved. Now, there's two truths from this text I want to emphasize to you. One, he highlights the disciples were not fasting in that time because the Son of God was present with them. Jesus was there. And so Jesus is encountering them. John's disciples had been fasting and praying. The leaders have been fasting and praying. Bring this Messiah who's promised to save us. The one who's going to redeem us. And now Jesus' disciples, he's, he's here. And Jesus is encountering that saying, you don't need to fast while the one whom you were fasting for is now here. You, you don't have to mourn. But soon he's going to go away, which if you've read through the rest of the Gospel of John, you understand what he means by that. And then then they will fast. But secondly, notice this from what Jesus says to them. Any time you try to add to what is from what was, when it comes to righteousness and salvation, the results are damaging. The results are damaging. Now, To simplify this a little more, when we take our previous ideas about sin, salvation, and God and try to blend them with the truth of salvation by grace through faith alone, we miss the promise. We miss the promise. And at some point, we will start seeing error codes flashing. This is not computing like it's supposed to. And we get this tension back and forth because things are not operating well. My human nature is saying one thing and I'm trying to blend it with what the truth of God's Word says and it's not working. It's not working. It's because it's not meant to work like that. And the reality is, 
some of us need a new wineskin for this truth. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what that looked like, they would put new wine in a wineskin, usually made of leather, and it would ferment inside that wineskin, and as it did, it would expand. The, the skin would expand with it. Now, if that was complete and you dumped that out and put new wine into one that had already expanded, it's going to continue to expand to the point that it's going to break. And the same is true for the patch illustration. You try to put an unshrunk patch on something that's already shrunk. What's going to happen? That patch is going to shrink and shrink and shrink. It's eventually going to tear away and there's going to be a hole there still. Church, one of the most damaging things we can do is to try and fit the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ into our own box. We can't take what Jesus said and try to make it fit with our own personal circumstances. There's a lot of application that extends beyond this, but if we warp the gospel of truth and make it something that it is not, we should not be surprised when we find holes in our life. We should not be surprised when there's gaps. But God, through Christ, desires to place new wine in a new wineskin. Renewal in Christ. The new covenant in His blood. A promise of eternity and the opportunity for our faith and our Christ-likeness to expand far beyond what our fleshly selves ever could. There's power in that. There is only one way to eternity. God made that way through Christ, who was born that night in human flesh, the light of life. He is full of grace and truth. Now look back with me at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, specifically in verse 18. says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, some of your translations might say the one and only begotten Son, or the one and only Son, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Now to provide some clarification on this, in verse 18, when it says the only, or the one and only Son, or the one and only begotten, whatever your translation says, if we're to open up the original language, this would be two words be two specific words. And the one word is the same that's used in verse 14 of John chapter 1, where it says, um, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son. It's the same word that's used in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son, or only Son. Same word. And the emphasis here is that is the only. If you were to translate it literally, it would just say, the only, or the only one, or one of a kind. The only one who is God, as we already emphasized at verse 1 of John chapter 1. He has made the Father known. 
There is only one way to know the Father. That's the truth of this. And it is the light that has shone. In John chapter 8 verse 19, Jesus says, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And in John 14, 7, Jesus says again, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, he's speaking to his disciples here, those who had followed him. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That is only accomplished through Christ. The only way to enter God's rest is by receiving grace as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. So how do we apply all of this? How do we apply these truths well? The first thing I would ask is, what are you computing in your mind this Christmas? What's going through your thought process? If I were to open your internal browser and search, what have you been focusing on? Have you been focusing on your upcoming Christmas plans? Have you been focused on problems within your family unit? Have you been focused on yourself? The follow-up question to that is, at what cost are you doing this? What are you giving up when your mind becomes so focused on all of this other stuff that's going on around that we lose sight of the reason we have to celebrate it all? Have we lost sight of the joy of the good news? Have we lost sight of the gift of rest in Jesus? The only way to enter God's rest is by receiving grace as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. Unless we continually remind ourselves, unless we continually remind ourselves of our complete salvation through grace alone, by faith alone in Jesus, we are destined to resort back into default mode. Church, this is so important for us. To understand that my tendency is going to be to fall back into my human self, my human patterns, my human understanding of all these things unless I consistently come back to a place of truth and say, why do I have any reason to do what I'm doing? Where is my focus at? The light has come that you may no longer walk in darkness. It's a new covenant, new wineskin, new life that can only be found in one place. It can only be found in Jesus. Now, as we close this today, I'm going to read out of Hebrews chapter 3 once more. And this is a challenge. And I will, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask that you guys just stand with me as we read this passage. And I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. So you can follow along and, and see this text of scripture. 
But this really seeks to put the ball back in your court this morning. For those of you in Christ, you have to be challenged by this. Because our temptation and our enemy is going to try and convince you to fall back into default mode. And you have to be active. You have to be active to fight that off and to focus your attention where it needs to be focused. And some of you here this morning, you may not know what it's like to have rest in Christ because this is a new concept. And the only thing you need to understand this morning is the reason we celebrate Christmas at all is to celebrate the fact that the light has come and there is only one true light. In Christ. And so I want to challenge you with this in Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and I saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Church, don't let that be you today. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But I exhort one another, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you, none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If you are here today and you feel like you're struggling with a hardening, come let us pray for you. If you feel like you just need to enter into God's rest because you just, you don't know what that's like. And you need to commit that to Him. Come, let us pray with you. If you're here today and you're just struggling because the realities of this season are just hard. And it feels like more darkness than light. Come, let us pray with you and equip you. This is a truth as a church that we should embody in an excitement as we think about the light that has come. So as we sing this last song, I'm just going to be sitting down here in the front. And if any of you, for any reason, need to come forward and pray and seek God's face to enter into his rest, I want to invite you to do that today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has shown us the light. You've given us a way to enter into your rest through your grace given by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, may we reflect upon that today. May that be true in our own lives that we would not harden our hearts and fall back into a default mode, but rather commit our way to you and rest in the promises that you've given us in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.